0: Hello and welcome to Doctor Who Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy B. your host, welcoming you to episode 149 of Doctor Who Panel to Panel. We are in the month of December, uh, almost to the midway point, and I wanted to wish you and yours a happy holidays and a Merry Christmas. And in this episode, this is one of our uh, classic episodes in which we read... Play uh, a classic interview. We are going to start out by covering some news. We'll take a look at the new Doctor Who magazine, uh, the new issue briefly, because it just came out and it was a wonderful issue. But then I'm going to replay you an interview that goes back to the back to 2014. This is an interview, an excellent interview that I had with Richard Starkings. Now a lot of people, if you recognize that name, most people know Richard from his digital lettering company, Comic Craft which is pretty much the go-to uh, software for lettering comic books nowadays. But Richard Starkings has a long history in comic books uh, as being uh, working with Image Comics and publishing his Elephant Men comics. Uh, he's done lots of other uh, comics, writing, lettering, uh, but he's also done a lot of Doctor Who work. Uh, he's currently the one of the letterers for Uh, Titan Comics, Doctor Who Comics, as they published them, and he's also worked on Doctor Who Magazine, which you'll find out in this interview. Uh, It was a great chat with Richard. He's a really interesting individual. I need to get back in touch with Richard and uh, have another chat, because it was just an extreme pleasure to chat with him and learn more about him and his work on Doctor Who and his love of Doctor Who. So that's what this episode is going to be about. So let's just jump right into it. Let's start out with uh, taking a look at the news. In Doctor Who comic news for this episode of Doctor Who panel to panel, we start out like we always do, take a look at new releases. New release just came out this past week, as a matter of fact, just a couple days ago. Back on the 8th of December, Doctor Who magazine number 585 came out digitally and over in the UK. And once again, an amazing issue. Um, I know Marcus Hearn in his introduction talked about how well received the last issue of doctor Who magazine was. And I totally agree. And I'm excited about the fact that doctor Who magazine is back and better than ever. And, uh, this issue, the new issue, 585, proves to be exactly the same as last issue. It had re- some really good articles in it. The continuation of the liberation of the Daleks comic strip was really good, really interesting, full of energy. Um, and to me, the Doctor Who magazine feels re-energized, um, and I think the biggest treat was the the letter from Russell T Davies back again this month, where we're treated once again to the Twelve Days of Christmas, where he gives us twelve little tidbits of information about upcoming new Doctor Who, everything from words that are going to be in the one of the specials to the fact that. Um, this, the new season of Doctor Who that comes out with Shooty Gat- was the Doctor, will have eight episodes plus a holiday special. So um, we know what we're going to be getting there. We know that this is going to be an annual series. Every year we will have new Doctor Who. There won't be any gaps. And it's just, uh, it feels, plus he kind of teases that there's going to be other projects coming about. Um, and I have no, I've heard rumors kind of along those lines as well. Uh, listening to Radio Free Scarlet, they mentioned it a couple weeks ago. So it's... Doctor Who feels re-energized again after all this time. It feels um, really exciting. And we have really wonderful things to look forward to on the horizon as 2023 uh, starts here in just a month. Uh, hopefully along those lines, Titan Comics will have some new stuff coming out no word as yet from Titan Comics as to what they might have up their sleeve other than the uh, special that Dan Slott has written that was supposed to come out this fall but has been pushed back to next year. Hopefully they got some other things in the works. I would really like to see some stuff from them, some more comic output. And um, I'm here's hoping that they have stuff in the works. Other than that, uh, upcoming Doctor Who magazine number 586 will be coming out on Thursday, January 5th of 2023, so that will be the part 3 of Liberation of the Daleks. And other than that, it's kind of uh, all quiet on the Doctor Who front. So, that is it for the news. Way back in episode 15 of Doctor Who panel to panel, I had the extreme pleasure of chatting with Richard Starkings. Uh, Like I said in the introduction, for most people, Richard Starkings' name is synonymous with the comic craft comic book lettering software, which he invented and is used by pretty much all major comic companies nowadays to letter their comics. But before that, he was very much involved in comic creation and uh, worked for many different companies wearing various different hats. And in fact, he worked on Doctor Who magazine back in the day. And back in 2014, I was able to track Richard down. Uh, he lives here in the States now. And we had a wonderful chat about how he got into uh, Doctor Who as a fan, how he got into publishing and comic books, and much, much more. And for those of you who weren't listening to Doctor Who Panel to Panel back then, now is your chance to hear this classic interview. Uh, from the mists of time. So here, without further ado, is a wonderful chat with a great human being, Mr. Richard Starkings.
1: John Freeman owes me his career.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think he might have mentioned that in the uh, interview I did with him.
1: Well, yeah, you know, I don't know if you... Uh, I don't know if John talked about this, but Doctor Who magazine was in so much danger of cancellation, and if you have issues of the magazine from that time... You'll see that it was on really cheap paper. It was it was almost all black and white.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, the editorial team didn't really care about it. It was more of a job. Uh-huh. And um, I had been offered... Kevin Riddow asked me if I would design Doctor Who magazine, and that, to me, was too much like making my hobby my work. Okay. And... Um, and then I was asked to edit the comic strip to bring prices to bring costs down, actually. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, which is a very uh, uh, um, de- debated situation because John Ridgway quit. But I had also been been asked to work with less expensive talent. Oh, I see. <laughs> so, so, you know. John quite rightly um, quit because he didn't think the editor at the time couldn't assure him that the book would continue.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And and I came in and commissioned like six months worth of work and John sort of regretted quitting because he said, how come you've got six months worth of work? But, you know, my, my way of meeting deadlines was to... Get different teams working on different stories at the same time,
3: mm-hmm.
1: but at, but at around the same time, you know, I was, I can't, I can't remember, but I think management asked me if I would edit the magazine, and I said no. Okay. So I sort of turned, I turned it down twice because what I really loved was the comics, and my love of the Doctor Who comics goes all the way to the first issue of Countdown in, in 1971. Oh really? Tom Pertwee was the Doctor. yeah. Oh, those are
0: awesome strips.
1: Yeah, I loved that work by Harry Linfield and Jerry Haylock, and um, that really—I didn't realize at the time. I thought I was reading comics because of Doctor Who, but I think I was reading the Doctor Who because of comics because I love comics. Uh huh. And I love Doctor Who, but that's my hobby.
0: <laughs> oh, I see. I see.
1: You know, I liked making Doctor Who comics, um, but uh, above all. Um, you know, I'm a Doctor Who fan, mm-hmm. you know. So, when did you start uh, watching Doctor Who? Oh, um, I'm 52. Mm-hmm. So, I'm quite certain I started watching it when I was two, because um, my brothers are nine and twelve years older than me. Oh, okay. And my brother, Michael, who's the the younger of the two, um, long before this was documented, told me that they'd repeated the first episode the week after it transmitted. And I was like, oh, I don't think that's the case. But of course it was, because it was Kennedy's assassination the day before. Uh-huh. And the, the BBC decided they would rerun the episode because the news coverage of the assassination had sort of drowned out the reception of of the new TV show. Oh, yes. So I know for a fact that my brother, Michael, watched the first episode, and and we... You know, those were the days of families watching TV at tea time as a group. So Mm -hmm. I'm pretty certain I would have been sitting on somebody's knee, uh, you know, as a a baby. I mean, I've been one year old. I Uh think I was born in 62. Uh Doctor Who came out 63, I would have been 18 months old, Yeah. a little bit older, nearly two. And my first memory of Doctor Who is a black and white episode of the TARDIS on a Sandy Plain, I can't remember. I don't know what it was, mm-hmm. but I do have a I distinctly remember the, the, the regeneration of William Hartnell at the end of Tenth Planet. Oh, wow. You know, so I must have been about four at that point.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, remem- I remember Power of the Daleks, Evil of the Daleks. I remember lots of Troughton episodes, whether Fear, Bommel, Sp- Snowman. I, I have very, very clear memories of Troughton. Mm hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I was, Dr. Who was on in the house, you know what I mean? Sure, yep. Yep, so, so I, I do remember Hartnell and, you know, I'm one of those people that when, when I'm on a Dr. Who panel at a convention, you know, and people are asked which doctor they remember, there's like me and one other person that remember Hartnell. (laughs)
0: So, so do you have a particular favorite doctor? Is it, you know, Hartnell or Troutman from just from your childhood? No, or? actually, to me, it's um,
1: in classic Doctor Who, it's Pertwee and Baker. Okay. And I, I really connected to Doctor Who when Barry Let, Letts took over. That was when I think I became a viewer for life. And I can tell you the moment, which is when the Brigadier blew up the Silurians. Oh yeah. At the end at the end of that story, and the doctor looked so shocked and so sad and compassionate and angry all at the same time. Uh, that image of John Pertwee's face is like burned in my brain. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's interesting that in his autobiography, Barry Letts talks about writing that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, Barry Letts, I'm a, I'm a Buddhist. In fact, I'm talking to you from the Buddhist center in Santa Monica. Oh. And um, the first person that I knew was a Buddhist was Barry Letts. Mm-hmm. And he, even though he doesn't practice the same form of Buddhism that I practice, it has its roots in, in the teachings of the Lotus Sutra. And I can see those teachings in his work as a producer, as a writer. Oh, yeah. Um, So I was at college with a professor called Stephen Deutsch, and and he was a music professor. We were, I did a media degree, English and media, and uh, Stephen Deutsch worked for Barry Letts on the classic serial. So while I was at college, I got to interview uh, Barry Letts, also Douglas Camfield. Wow. Uh, came and lectured at our college. Um, And he was fascinating. He was working on Beaugest. He just worked on Beaugest, I think. And I think Stephen Deutsch may have scored that production of Beaugest. And, um, you know, when you look at Barry's work as a producer guiding writers, he's very concerned with cause and effect. So The Green Death, which he co-wrote with Sloman, um, is about the effect on the environment that... Uh, global Chemicals has,
2: uh-huh.
1: you know, and the doctor is always addressing the cause. You know, he's always addressing, Brigadier, why did you kill the Silurians? Why did you do that? Yeah. You know, Don't you understand the consequences? Uh, clause of Axos, you know, he tries to step in and work diplomatically with the axons. Um, and there are pro- problems on both sides. There's a lot of, in, in Buddhism, we talk about the three poisons, greed, anger, and stupidity. And the behaviour of human beings while the doctor is exiled on Earth is a classic example of the three poisons at work: greed, anger, and stupidity, Mm -hmm. poisoning the Earth, uh, poisoning relationships with aliens and other humans. Um, You know, a belief in the golden age—that's actually in the dinosaur story. You know, um, which is Buddhism. It's honnan Myo, which is to look backwards rather than forwards. Which is one of the which is a vanity. Um, so, you know, looking back on that era as a Buddhist now, I can totally see why uh, his era was so appealing, because Barry Letts, without question, is a man of compassion. And in his autobiography, he talks about that moment uh, <clears throat> where John Pertwee's doctor shows so much dismay and regret that the Brigadier destroys the Silurian base. And in that chapter, in his autobiography, he talks about compassion. And I was like, there you go. It's right there. I knew it and it impacted me and went straight to the heart of me and and, and a nine-year-old boy. Right? So I have a great fondness for particularly the Katie Manning, John Pertwee era. Uh And... Thereafter, the Tom Baker, Elizabeth Sladen era, those to me are the formative years of Doctor Who for, for, for me. Sure. you know, And I think, I think they informed my generation, which includes Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat. I think that era is the most powerful where uh, producers who had something to say were in control of the show. Mm-hmm. And of course, Ver- Verity Lambert. You know, without Verity Lambert, you know, we're not having this conversation. Oh, she, she's the other. She's the other producer that cared about the show in the classic years.
0: Yeah, I can I can see where that uh, those or that era would definitely have an influence on you if you were thinking along those same lines. And and I definitely see where you're coming from on the on the comic front. How did you get involved in comic books?
1: Um. Well, my brother. My oldest brother was a comic book dealer, so um, I was reading comics. Uh, the first comic I really read regularly was Countdown, which became TV action, and then I started reading Lookin'.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And uh, when in 1973 Mighty World of Marvel came out, you know, I, I already knew that my brother was obsessed with American comics. Yeah. So this was, this was my way to get on the same wavelength as my brother. So I. I read Mighty World of Marvel, and, and and that's the comic in which I read Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, and the Hulk from the very beginning, mm-hmm. because they were they were um, they were adapted in chunks in a weekly comic. So, you know, within a couple of years, I'd read all the first forty or fifty issues of of the key Marvel comics. Sure. Um, sure. And then I started reading my brother's collection. You know, he had a collection stretching all the way back to Spider-Man number nine and Fantastic Four number six. You know, so uh-huh. I, was able, I was able to read them in color in, in, in the American editions. And, and I, I loved them. You know, I loved Marvel comics. The, the key to my appreciating Marvel over DC was that my brother lived in a house and he had a room with all his comics in and it was floor to ceiling shelves. uh uh-huh. But he, but he kept the Marvel comics on the lower shelves and the DC on the higher shelves. So I couldn't reach the DC <laughs> comics. So I sat, you know, at the, the bottom of the shelves just uh-huh. reading the Marvel one. Yeah. And again, you know, I just remember one time in his kitchen just reading every issue of Spider-Man, you know, like 30 issues at a time uh-huh. over, over a week in, in the summer holidays. So, um That's where I got immersed in comics, was through my brother, and and when 2000 AD came out in the late 70s, I'd been reading a comic called Star-Lord, which folded into, you know, this is a phenomenon in British comics, that they fold into other comics, Uh and Star-Lord lasted about 22 issues and then folded into 2000 AD, and 2000 AD was up to issue 80. And I said to my brother, I, I need the first 80 issues of 2000 AD. And, and because he was a dealer, he had them for me like the next week. Uh-huh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so he sort of fed my comic collection, um, collecting.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And, um, you know, he uh, uh, you know he didn't necessarily – he became more of a dealer than a collector, but uh, – I got to go to shows with him in Liverpool and in Leeds and in uh, some shows further south. I can't remember them all, but um, because of that, I got exposed to a lot of people who still work in comics today. Uh, Nick Landau, who's the head of Titan Books, who now published the Doctor Who comic.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, Mike Lake was at some of these shows. so I got to know a lot of the, the bigger retailers at the time, and I got to see how comics that uh, came from America but weren't being distributed at the time. I would I would be able to see them, you know, like a week after they were released in America.
3: Sure.
1: So I got to understand that whole American comic book system through my brother. And I got to read comics that I wouldn't ordinarily get to read, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, th- and that was in my teens, my early to mid-teens. And I, I would be sitting in the back of my brothers MGBGT which is a sports car with with a very small back seat and I would be on the back seat with like 10 short boxes of comics Oh really Yeah uh crammed in I was like 10 or 11 years old so um so you know it's funny when I started working at Marvel UK a lot of the retailers uh you know when when I was younger people would say to my brother oh uh, they no they say to me are you Mel Starking's brother when i was older they would say to my brother are you richard starking's brother because they would know me from from working comics so Uh that's an interesting switch Uh um so you know i just i grew up around a lot of comics i got a lot of the weekly british comics a lot of the marvel reprints uh there was also um what was the other comic that i used to get gosh i used to oh. Yeah, the, the, I really enjoyed, actually, the, the Planet of the Apes and Dracula Lives reprints that we had. Oh, really? Like, yeah, the, these were reprinting the black and white Curtis magazines. Uh-huh. Um, and, in fact, Planet of the Apes was so popular that it outlived the Marvel monthly, and they started running reprints of Killraven, but they would put ape heads on the martian invaders not the oh really the monsters but yeah <laughs> so yeah it's uh it's kind of hard to believe but they literally pasted heads over to make the war of the world story a planet the ape story
0: yeah, well you got to do what you got to do if it's going to sell
1: yeah but they wouldn't do that now not with p craig russell
0: no oh, i'm sure the internet you know Yep. So. So, so when did you decide you wanted to have a career in in comics whether it be editing or writing or what have you
1: well in fact Anna, um, I started drawing Doctor Who gag strips for tardis fanzine you know for actually it was for Oracle which is a fanzine by David Howe who's quite a prominent fan still today oh, oh yes. still does. actually he's not so much a fan he's a publisher he's done tell us yep has published a lot of books relating to Doctor Who.
0: Yep, sure has.
1: Um, So Dave had a fanzine called Oracle, and I was doing little Doctor Who gag strips, and I started submitting them to him, and he ran them. Those strips also ran in TARDIS, Doctor Who Bulletin, which became Dreamwatch Bulletin. Mm -hmm. And um, I was doing them so that I could, you know, I like to draw, I like to tell a story, and I realized I was good at lettering. So to cut that long story short, I would send samples of my cartoons to comic book publishers. This is in my early 20s after i graduated university,
2: uh-huh.
1: and um, I would get, you know, the people would say, "Okay, well, we'll try you out." So I actually did a tryout for Lookin', which was disastrous because I had to go in and letter a strip in in hours, and I just couldn't do it. Oh yeah. Uh, but I got work at Marvel UK. I worked on the Transformers original material that was being generated at the time. They they were only one story in.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I started lettering on Simon Furman's first strip.
2: Ah.
1: And and I, I lettered... At one point, I'd lettered more Transformers than anything else because I lettered almost all Simon's Transformers work in the 80s. Um, and then I got a job on staff. I worked on a reprint called Spider-Man Comics Weekly. Then I worked on the Secret Wars reprint. Then I was the editor of the British version of GI Joe, which is called Action Force. Uh huh. Then um, Real Ghostbusters, and then I was promoted group editor, and I was editing Thundercats, Transformers, as a sort of supervising editor. Oh, okay. And, and and then I was you know at some point I was I'd been lettering the Doctor Who strip. And in fact, I traded with another lettering artist to work on Doctor Who. I was when I was editing Action Force. I offered the the the, the woman that was lettering Doctor Who, which is Annie Halfacre or Annie Parkhouse. Uh-huh. Um, I said, "Look, you know, I'll, I'll give you uh, eight pages of Action Force a week if you'll trade for doc for, for eight pages of Doctor Who." Oh, so really? it's like no problem. <laughs> and then I had to exp- then I had to explain what I'd done to the editor of Doctor Who. Uh
3: huh.
1: Um. So I was quite sneaky in those days. Uh, so I was working on Colin Baker's, the, the last few Doctor Who, Colin Baker Doctor Who strips. Oh, no, it wasn't, was it? I can't remember now.
0: Mm, I can't remember. Yeah, I think I did. And
1: and then, yeah, that's right. I did a lot of Colin Baker, or I think I did. <laughs> 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 I think I did. And then I, then I worked on the Sylvester McCoy stuff right after cold day in hell which i I, did i do cold i think i did that as well i think i did i did
3: Um,
1: yeah i think i did yeah okay sometimes i forget because it's so long ago it's 30 years yeah and then and then you know i became the editor of the strip
0: um yeah i was wondering how did they just want you to to take over doing the comic strip or you said that they wanted you to become the editor of the of the magazine was that the same at the same time
1: it, it it was all very close together because they were they really were gunning to cancel Doctor Who. It was they, they cut down the amount of strip during my time, and in fact, I persuaded one of my artists, Lee Sullivan, to do two pages for the price of one by turning the book the artboard on its side. Oh, really? A trick that a trick that Alan Davis taught me on from his run on Captain Britain. Uh huh. So you know I. Um, Again, I was brought in to make it cost-effective, and I did that by using younger talent like Kev Hopgood, Dave Hine, Martin Griffiths, uh, um, Mike Collins. Uh, the, the Doctor Who comic strip um, had become an expensive uh, part of the magazine, so you know anything that trimmed costs, mm-hmm. because the circulation at the time was very low... Sure. Um, helped the magazine survive and I was the one that recommended they hire John Freeman who I knew from the Westminster comic book marts and, and a fanzine that he did called Scan that I'd worked on uh-huh. and and I brought him in knowing that he cared enough about Doctor Who to actually care about the magazine so he became the designer first which is the job I did turn down and then eventually he, he was promoted to editor and he brought in, I believe, he hired Gary Russell, and you know, yep. between John, John and Gary, they assured the success of the magazine to this day. You know, so John saved the magazine, but I got him the job,
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I saved the comic strip. You know, I got to sort of, you know, take credit for that because I loved the comic strip. I didn't mm-hmm. want it to go away. So um, yeah, and I think if you yeah. so I I edited it right up to. The end of Nemesis of the Daleks, which I plotted under a pseudonym, Richard Allen, mm-hmm. and I and I continued to edit that because John Thomason scripted it and I rescripted it when I let it. So that was very much a collaboration, and and that was my idea to bring Absalom Dark into the Doctor Who strip proper. Oh yeah, you know he'd been a backup feature, so
0: uh-huh. and he was really popular with fans
1: very popular character of course you know a guy with a chainsaw that kills daleks
0: what, where can you go wrong <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah uh, one of the things that that people will notice if they take a look at uh the your tenure as the comic strip editor was just the sheer number of uh writers and artists that you brought in including uh, grant morrison and uh brian hitch
1: grant had actually written doctor who before i got there um he'd I think he did a strip called The World Builders.
0: Oh, okay, uh, the which was a, The Void strip. Yep.
1: Void, yeah. And, um, but Brian had, you know, I, I gave Brian his first work on Action Force when he was 16. Um, I also brought in Dougie Braithwaite, who's gone on to Greater Thing. Mm-hmm. He started working for me when he was 15. Wow. Um, and, I, and Kev Hopgood and Dave Hind did an incredible strip called "Clause of the Clarty," which Mike Collins drew.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, actually, no, Mike wrote it. Kev and Dave drew it in a sort of Bernie Wrightson style, which was quite amazing. Yep. And um, you know, my feeling was, why, did, why is Doctor Who on TV written by many writers, and in the comic strip, written by one? You know, so that was my way of bringing in writers and directors. You know, the artist being the director, mm-hmm. um, and and giving it. You know, and during my my run as editor, every every part of the story was called episode, not part. You know, so yep. I tried to emulate the way uh, the TV show was. Um, and in fact, you know, I I tried to do classic. Stories like a Victorian Doctor Who story, which is still popular today. Uh Uh, And I did an Invasion of Earth story. I did a Dalek story. Um, You know, when Russell Davis did his first season of (coughs) uh, Doctor Who, I I sort of looked at it and thought, oh, that's exactly the same kind of pattern I thought was right for the show,
2: Uh
1: which which was – You know a Victorian story, because they had the unquiet dead, right? Yep, that's right. I I did an invasion story, which is uh, World War Three aliens of London. Uh huh. And I and I finished my season with a big explosive Dalek story. So, you know, I was thinking along along the right lines, but being paid way less.
0: Yep, (laughs) very true. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I look back on your, your tenure on the Doctor Who magazine very fondly just because um, I became a Doctor Who fan probably about 1984, 1985, and it was about 1988 right. when I discovered Doctor Who magazine, so a lot of the stories that I started reading with Doctor Who magazine is the stuff that that you uh, kind of oversaw.
1: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it immensely, and I especially enjoyed working with Lee Sullivan. Yeah.
0: Um, you know,
1: we did the first multi-Doctor story, which is actually Shapeshifters, but um, I I had got to know Lee Sullivan through Transformers, and and he and I really hit it off. We loved Jerry Anderson, uh, you know, we loved Thunderbird, Stingray, and we loved Doctor Who, and he was working on Transformers, so I approached him to work on um, the Doctor Who strip, and of course, it, he, he was made for it.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: Uh, And Planet of the Dead was a story where we included, I think we probably did more continuity references in that story than had ever been done before. And Even though uh, the story is credited to John Freeman, both John and Lee will admit that I had a heavy hand in the plotting of that story because I wanted to see Lee draw as many companions and doctors as possible. Uh Uh-huh. And he totally rose to the challenge. He did such a great job. I mean, I would even venture that his um, usual suspects' lineup of the Doctors started with Planet of the Dead.
0: Yep, and that big, he, long he did a
1: light- Yep, Yep, yep. Uh, you know, and when they had the anniversary during classic comics reprints, Gary Russell told me that they had to color up Planet of the Dead because it was the only multi-Doctor story. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, and it's not a multi-doctor story; it's a shapeshifter story. But my intention was to give Lee the strip as a regular gig. Even though I, I felt like having John Ridgway on the strip for years was detrimental to the strip. I realised why you go with one artist because the artist builds a relationship with the character, and in a way, he becomes the performance. You know, Lee's way of drawing uh, Sylvester McCoy is like being having Sylvester McCoy there. Yeah. And John John Ridgway's interpretation of Colin Baker's Doctor was actually better than the TV show because uh, he could really pull off the ridiculous outfit because usually it was in black and white. Uh-huh. But even when they colored that stuff in Voyager, you know, John's storytelling was absolutely exceptional. And working with Steve Parkhouse was just uh, one of the great working relationships,
0: I think, in Doctor Who comics. Oh, I totally agree. That's just some amazing stuff. Yeah. And uh, after you left Doctor Who Magazine, you went on to a long, vast uh, career of lettering and creating Comic Craft, which uh, a lot of the, the newer Doctor Who uh, comic readers will be familiar with you as the, the gentleman that created the, the uh, digital uh, lettering software.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, cut that long story short, because that's a huge bit of time. You know, I uh-huh. moved to America I moved to America in 89. Uh, um, the last thing I did, worked on for Doctor Who was Nemesis of the Daleks. But although, although when he, Gary Russell was the editor, I did a one-shot strip called Up Above the Gods with Colin Baker's Doctor and uh, Davros. Oh, yes. And um, that was because Paul Cornell, who who bless him, he had written to me when he was a teenager – asking how to be a writer. And I don't remember this, but Paul assures me I wrote a letter back to him (laughs) uh, that was very generous and kind and gave him some pointers. And, in fact, his first Doctor Who story was followed Nemesis of the Daleks. It was called Stairway to Heaven.
2: Uh
1: And and I sort of guided John in script editing that. Uh, But Paul wrote a sequel to Nemesis of the Daleks called Emperor of the Daleks. Yep where he brought everybody back to life that I'd killed. (laughs) Um, All the other Star Tigers and Absalom Dark. And I think it was a good decision, but there was a sort of moment, because he brought Davros into that story too, Mm -hmm. I felt that there was a moment missing where Colin Baker's doctor simply sort of turned up with Davros and there wasn't really any rationale behind it. So I wrote this one episode dialogue between Colin Baker's doctor and the Davros and, and, and quite frankly, I tried to recapture the up above the gods speech, you know, mm-hmm. that power would put me up above the gods. Yep. Um, which, which everyone knows and everyone references. And, and, and I wrote an eight page story, which Lee drew and I, I call Lee and said, I'm only writing this if you commit to draw it, which he did. <coughs> and, um, that, was, that must have been in the mid-90s or something before Gary got unceremoniously dumped. Yep. Uh, and, um, you know, meantime, I was doing comic craft, developing digital lettering as a way of earning an income so that I could fund my own comic book, Elephant Men, mm-hmm. which at the time was called Hip Flask. Um so, you know, we worked on every Marvel comic. We worked on every DC comic. We worked on most Dark Horse comics. We have worked on <clears throat> a lot of image comics. Uh, there was an explosion in comic books at the beginning of the 90s, and I sort of rode the, the, the shockwave and pioneered digital lettering and made fonts available, including Time Lord and Exterminate because I'm still a Doctor Who fan. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, so I... Uh, built a studio, basically. I, I, I sort of recreated my environment at Marvel UK, but it was dedicated to design and lettering, mm-hmm. which was something I was very used to. I was, I was used to running a department at Marvel UK, so I just had to figure out how to build and finance it myself. Sure. Uh, and the one thing missing was publishing, and that was what I enjoyed doing. I enjoyed telling stories. I enjoyed... Mm-hmm my seventh doctor run i enjoyed working with writers like jeff Loeb and kurt music and you know i've worked with alan moore and grant morrison on on series i i enjoy seeing a story told and lettering is a big part of that Uh but it's not it wasn't what i wanted to be known for i really did want to write and publish my own comic books
0: yeah, which which you definitely did with Elephant Man. It's one of uh, the, the series that I, when I was running a comic shop, I used to read on a, on a regular basis. Oh, thank you. No, I mean, it was definitely one that I recommended to to a lot of my uh, my uh, customers too. It was just. It was. It didn't come out, uh, you know, it, it, like on a fairly regular basis. But when it did, it was some really powerful stuff, and always had really good stor- uh, strong stories, and and really good uh, artwork.
1: Well, you know, the, the thing is, is that um, it might shock you to learn it that in in eight years, I put out sixty eight issues, and that means, you know, I'm close to.
0: What eight issues a year? You see, you're, which is
1: pretty regular for an image comic.
0: Yeah, that is com- compared to uh, some of some of the other books that have uh, kind yeah. of fallen to the wayside as far as keeping to a, a even you know, a semi regular schedule.
3: Yeah,
1: and and you know it is a struggle when you're writing. You know you don't have any an editor driving you. you you're not you don't have a corporate pay a paycheck, so. You know, the first year we put out 12 issues in 12 months, which which I'm very proud of. But it's extremely hard mm-hmm. to do that. Um, but, you know, we, we I've just sent issue 60 to press. We had eight other issues that were like one-shots and miniseries. Yep. We have seven uh, hardcovers. We've we got, you know, a little a spin-off book called Captain Stoneheart that was like a children's book.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, we have an art of... And we have the hip flash series with Pilot Drone. So, you know, what I've really done, I mean, it's, it's like putting out a season of Doctor Who all by myself every year, Yeah. you know, with, with the help of like one or two artists. And it's a lot more work. I mean, I I, I don't, I can't believe that Russell T. Davis put out Doctor Who at such high quality for five years. I can't believe that Stephen Moffat has done it. You know, you're much more forgiving of other people's creative endeavors, And the highs and lows when you've done it yourself, and you've realised, whoa, it's it's not always easy to tie up a story thread.
3: Yeah,
1: you know, it's not always easy to get the performances or set design or monster design that you want. You know, what you see in your head is often much better than what you see on the screen or the page. So, but Elephant Man is my way of, you know, it's very influenced by Doctor Who, and any fan that reads every issue will will see little influences but but it, it's influenced in the biggest way of how do you create a world and believable characters and and entertain people you know which is something i always wanted to do mm-hmm.
0: well i think you do it admirably sir thank you and uh
1: and i i did i did write that i scripted a tenth doctor story for idw
0: you, um, you just did my segue for me. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, and uh, you, you after being away from Dr. Who for so long, you came back uh, through IDW and did a story.
1: I did. I basically, Gary Russell had overcommitted, and he called me and said, um, I can't finish this story, and, and you're one of the few people I trust to actually uh, do a good job and um, he'd written three pages and a plot so I followed his plot Um, and it's funny because he told me that he sent he sends all the things he writes to his mum his mum called him up and said oh Gary I love the story that you wrote I actually understood it (laughs) and Gary Gary said Gary said you you had to pick the one that I didn't actually write So and that was fun. That made me realise how easy it was to put words in the mouths of uh, Tennant and Catherine Tate. They, you know, Donna and the Doctor were such a such brilliantly conceived and performed characters that it was almost effortless. It was. It's difficult to write other people's characters and not have total control over how the story develops and 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 um, how the artwork looks. Which you know. I realized what a control freak I was when I did that. Uh huh. Um, but it was it was fun to do it.
0: Well, I know it was, it was a treat for me to read, and uh, I I thought you did a, a wonderful job on on taking care of that since uh, Gary wasn't able to. Thank you. No problem. Have, have, what have you thought of uh, the the new series now that it's back on the air? Or has been back for ten years now.
1: I oh, was the- the modern
0: Doctor Who, yeah. New Who. Yep, compared to the, the classic. I think
1: it's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something I, I tell everybody. A new episode of Doctor Who is like a Christmas present. <laughs> and ev- every year we get like 13 Christmas presents. So um, even at its low point, even when uh, and we look at an episode mm-hmm. and we think it's a bit of a dud, it's still new Doctor Who and it's nearly 10 years worth. Mm hmm. Um, and we've had four great doctors. We haven't had any, any duds. I, I don't think there are any dud doctors. There are just difficult periods in the show's production. Um, I think every single actor that has played Doctor Who and, and boy was Paul McGann was such a revelation in that seven minute episode. Oh, yes. Um, you know, so I, I just think it's it's joyful to, to be able to experience Doctor Who. And I've raised three children watching new Doctor Who. Um, my, my daughter Savannah was a huge fan of Tennant and, and Matt Smith. She's been watching it since she was five. She still loves Rose. Uh-huh. She's met Freema Adjom and she's met Billy Piper um, through, through the Gallifrey Show, which is here in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. And... Um, you know, I look forward to every episode, you know, I was looking today, I was like, Am I gonna watch Doc Two on the iPlayer? I'm gonna wait till it's on BBC America,
3: or am I gonna <laughs>
1: download it tomorrow? You know, it's like wh- what a what a sort of um, embarrassment of treasures we have now. I mean, the the fact that I complain about the quality of the Doc Two action figures, but we have regular releases of Doc Two action figures. We have books about the history of the show, books for kids, books for Readers, you know, it, it's it's gone Star Wars in, in England. It it is as phenomenal as Star Wars or Star Trek uh, were in America, and now it is as big in America. I used to be able to walk into any Doctor Who panel uh, at San Diego Comic Con or WonderCon. I used to just walk in.
3: Yeah.
1: Now I have I have to ask the, the people that organise Comic Con if they can sneak me in to Hall H, and I've and I <laughs> still I still go.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, so, you know, seeing it take off in America, going to comic conventions and seeing people dressed up in, you know, bow tie and fezzes or as Amy Pond in a in a, a police outfit with a short skirt or uh, dressed as Clara, dressed as Daleks and Cybermen. It's just fantastic. It's, you know, my, my adopted home has become like my home, you know, and people know what jammy dodgers are in America now. Yeah. You know, so it's it's just I've loved New Doctor Who and I'm so glad it's been guided by, uh, you know, people like Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat. And and I I have to put in Mark Gatiss, who I think is one of the hearts of uh, New Who. Mm -hmm. You know, he's acted in it. He's written it. Um, I loved League of Gentlemen. Um, I love... Sherlock Holmes. It's just, you know, it's a rebirth of television, British television.
0: Yep, it sure is. And I I think that uh, I I would put my money on Mark Gatiss to be the next showrunner when Stephen Moffat decides that his tenure is up.
1: I've felt the same way. I would actually like Russell to come back. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, I do miss the soap opera element that Russell does so well. Mm -hmm. Moffat does a much better relationship dynamic. Um, he's there's a uh, coupling informs a lot of the relationships. Yeah. In Moffat's Doctor Who, whereas Coronation Street informed relationships and families. Russell used as families very very well, well I missed does. that aspect to it. I missed that aspect to it because that's what made Russell's show more of a family show was because there was brothers and sisters and moms and dads and. And moms and dads fighting and, you know, Rose's parents reunited. And there was a lot more emotional language in the show that was not borderline, you know, relationship language. Uh Family, Family relationships, not couple relationships. And I think Moffat does couples, but Russell T. Davis does families. So I would like Russell to come back. I would like that element to return. And I, I like what we have with a sort of more fatherly doctor in Capaldi. Uh-huh. Um, and I like how gruff he is. And I like the, the relationship that's developed this season with Clara. Um, I do think um, Amy was the perfect companion for Matt Smith's doctor. She was an amazing actress amazing character yeah. and i love the whole amelia slash amy pond relationship uh-huh but y- you can't beat that last scene from doomsday you you know yeah um that that to me you know that wasn't just rose and the doctor on the beach that was rose mickey jackie and um what's what's, what's rose's dad called uh tyler uh, not jack jackie and
0: uh
1: peter good lord how Peter?
0: I, I can't remember off the top of my head now either.
1: That's so annoying, it's going to bug me all day. Um, anyway, you know, it was the whole family on the beach. It wasn't just, you know, Amy and the Doctor, it was it was the family, you know. And I love River Song. I hope, I hope River Song comes back. I do I've I've enjoyed that aspect to it, but um, I I just miss that soap opera element and I'm not a big fan of soap operas, but I like it in Doctor Who.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And yes, his name was Pete. Pete. Yep. Pete, that's right. Or Peter. Pete uh, Tyler, that's yeah. right, yeah. Um, one final question for you before I let you go, and thank you for being so gracious with your time. And uh, No problem. Have you read any of the new Titan Comics, Doctor Who comics? And if so, what have you thought of them so far?
1: Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've not only read them, we lettered them all.
0: Oh, really? i will have to take a closer <laughs> See, look yes, at the credits box. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and in fact,
1: I got comps of the first Peter Capaldi uh, issue, which is drawn by my friend Dave Ta- Ta- Dave Dave Taylor. Uh huh. And, and it's an absolutely beautiful Mobius esque Doctor, uh, and I, I do that's my favourite of them all. Oh really? But I think yes, uh, Dave's Dave's current Doctor is awesome. Mm-hmm. But I do think. That they've gone in the right direction by giving the 11th and 10th Doctors new companions. And um, I think they've chosen some incredible artists. The cover artist uh, of those first issues um, is amazing. I can't remember her name, but um, Uh, fabulous. Alice
0: Tsang?
1: Yes. Yep. Amazing work. And, um, you know, I think it's great that there are – there's new Doctor Who being written – in England, drawn in England, and in fact, the cover artist of Elephant Man, Boo Cook, is doing the next Matt Smith arc, uh-huh. um, and I, and I love that. You know, it, it's kind of frustrating that talent that I'm working with on Elephant Man is is tied up on Doctor Who, but right. I'd rather they were tied tied up on Doctor Who than some superhero comics. So. Um, uh, yep, I, I love what's being done uh, Andrew James, the editor is a big Doctor Who fan and he's doing it with love mm-hmm. um, and you know I enjoyed some of the um, IDW work, especially the story by Tony Lee drawn mostly by Pierre Guerra uh-huh. um, but IDW um, often um, worked with artists who clearly had no feel for Doctor Who and uh, You know, if you were raised in England, Doctor Who's in your DNA. Um, So it's great to see British artists working on an American version of the comic book, which, you know, it's the way it should be. They don't make an American version of Doctor Who for the American market. They shouldn't make American (coughs) versions of the Doctor Who comic for the American market. Mm -hmm. It should be homegrown.
0: Yeah, I, I totally see your point there.
1: That's not to exclude all my American friends who want to Doctor Who, but you're not allowed to touch it. That's just a <laughs> the law.
0: You, they have their own toys to play with in the sandbox.
1: Yes, yes. They, yeah, you've got, you've got all these bloody superheroes, and it's not as if British writers do good uh, American superhero stories, is it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and with that, I'm going to call in, and uh, <laughs> Mr. Starkings, I want to thank you for joining me today. On Doctor Who panel, the panel, and uh, thank you from the deepest depths of my heart for uh, steering Doctor Who comics in the right direction when I first started reading them back in 1988.
1: You're very welcome. It's really heartening to hear that you know something I did nearly 30 years ago still has any sort of resonance today. So thank
0: thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that uh, classic interview with Richard Starkings. Like I said, he's a wonderful guy. Uh, it was great to chat with him to learn more about him. And I think you, upon listening to that interview, will have learned more about him yourself. Thank you all for downloading this episode of Dr. Who Pan the Panel. I hope it brought you a little bit of joy in this, uh, what I always consider a stressful time of year. Holiday season is always great when things slow down at the end and you get to spend time with family and friends and relax and enjoy the season but the road leading up to there is always kind of stressful and and uh i know it wears me out but hopefully this episode of doctor who panel the panel gave you a little bit of a break to uh listen to something uh hopefully pleasurable and that you enjoyed and uh for those of you who may live here uh i live in minnesota in the united states If you are living in Minnesota or in nearby states and are going to be at the console room Doctor Who convention here in Minneapolis coming up next month in January, January 20th through 22nd, I will be there all three days. I am going to be on some panels, I am going to be wandering around, uh, hopefully maybe doing some live chatting with people to use for an upcoming podcast, uh, depending on who I run into and chatting about Doctor Who comics. So if you are going to be there, let me know. Uh, Let me know via Facebook or on Twitter. And uh, maybe we can meet up and just have a chat. I'd love to meet people that listen to this podcast. So... Uh, until next time, I guess, next time it's a big episode 150. Anniversaries are always special in the world of comics, and so for Doctor Who panel to panel, episode 150 is going to be a special one as well. It'll come out in a couple weeks right around Christmas time, and it will have an interview with uh, somebody who I consider a friend of the show, and uh, somebody who I have chatted with before, but He had a big project that just came out last month, and I was able to uh, to get some time with Mr. Robert Hack to talk about his Doctor Who and the Daleks uh, coffee table book or illustrated target novelization. I guess is what is a good way of talking or calling it. That will be what is coming up on the next episode of Doctor Who Panel the Panel. But until then, this is Jeremy Brent saying until next time, bye. Doctor Who Panel the Panel, the podcast about Doctor Who comics, thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel the Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at Doctor Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org just search for Doctor Who panel to panel. Thank you